Are you ready for the latest Habs news, passionate debate, and in-depth analysis from hockey experts around the league? It's the most informative and interactive podcast about the Montreal Canadiens. This is the Canadians Connection Podcast, featured on allhabs.net, with your hosts, Joe Whalen and Rick Stevens. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Canadians Connection Podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio, keeping you informed, engaged, and entertained. My name is Joseph Whalen. I'm going to be your host for the next hour, and this is episode 89 of the Canadians Connection Podcast, the Nikita Nesterov edition, and I'm pleased to be joined, as always, by the Nikita Nesterov to my Ryan Johnston, uh, Mr. Rick Stevens. How are you doing on this fine day, Rick? Yeah, I think this is going to be a good podcast, um, <laughs> as, as they usually are. Uh, first yeah. of all, it's a, it's the first day of summer, uh, so happy Lovely. summer to all of our listeners. A, a beautiful 30 degrees already in, in uh, Montreal. Um, it is episode 89. And uh, you mentioned a couple, uh, Ryan Johnson, who I always liked, Sudbury Boyd, who went on to uh, the NCAA, played in Colgate. Uh, last, after his stint with the Canadians and uh, the Ice Caps, he's, uh, last I heard, he was with the San Diego Gulls. But Nikita Nesterov, remember, he was brought in um, and then went off to the Red Army team uh, to be teammates last season with uh, Yuri Seacatch, remember that name, mm. Mikhail yep. Gregorenko, <laughs> and none other than Alexander Romanov. So, um, ah. and we hope to see uh, Romanov, of course, soon. And that's how we make a Canadians connection. And we're really glad that you're here with us today. Absolutely, and uh, that's what we love to do. That's what Rick loves to do. Every time I bring these names up, he just finds ways. He they're tangled webs sometimes, but finds a way to get the connection that he wants. <laughs> but uh, Rick, boy, oh boy, do we ever have a show today? And uh, we have some news items that we're going to touch on early on in this podcast. But really, I mean, yesterday, the sports world was, it was an eventful day in the sports world, probably the most eventful day that we've had since March 11th, March 12th, when all of this sort of happened and you had Rudy Gobert test positive in the NBA that caused all of these leagues to pause their season. Some events to be canceled um, yesterday, uh, a lot of news and, and it has caused us to, to edit a little bit of the show uh, before we go on today. <laughs> the red pen of death on the, the show plan. Yeah. Like, 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 um, you know, there, there's a lot of planning that goes into uh, yeah. these, uh, these episodes and, um, and we prepare in a, ahead and we prepare a show plan. And yesterday, um, because there was so much, uh, breaking news and unfortunately all in the same direction, we, we had to, uh, uh, delete some of the things that we were going to talk about. Um, and, and don't worry, we'll, we'll, uh, figure out a way of, of getting them in, um, just like uh, Cole Caulfield and, and Jaden Struble being invited to the World Junior uh, Summer Showcase. We'll probably talk about that on From the Press Box on Tuesday, so sure, be sure to listen to that podcast. As well, there was um, um, an unfortunate bullying incident in the OHL and their um, yeah. concerning Eric Guest of the Kitchener Rangers, and, and um, uh, we'll likely be talking about that. Bullying is a subject... In academia, I had to deal with it, and, and uh, 
um, it's, it's wrong. I mean, we dealt with it even in our, our company and we had to d- dismiss some people. And, and so um, it's, it's, it's really a difficult talk topic. And we're going to talk about that on uh, Tuesday and from the press box, you wanted to talk about third jerseys and uh, yeah. I think we'll have to uh, move that to next week uh, because yeah. we've got a pretty full plate here. Oh boy, do we ever. And we'll start out with some some really interesting news items that came out of this week. And uh, we'll start with a, a, sort of a lighthearted one just to get us get the ball rolling a little bit here before we get into some of the uh, unfortunate events of yesterday. But uh, we heard from Cristobal Huey this week, uh, an old Canadians goaltender in the mid-2000s. Uh, and uh, boy, oh boy, uh, Cristobal Huey, he was one of my favorites, I have to say. And uh, he had some uh, comments about Carey Price that really shed some light on the mindset of the young Carey Price entering his rookie season um, and, and talked about his first game in Pittsburgh sticking out in uh, the mind of Cristobal Huey saying that Carey Price was really quiet, not at all nervous. He wrote a note for his mother to show the camera in the dressing room and, and showed it with a wink. Um, not overly surprising um, praise of Carey Price, especially given that we know that he is this very calm, very measured individual, but to hear it about, Carey Price when he's 20 years old. Now that that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that that was, and uh, it's interesting uh, the whole dynamic between those two goaltenders because if you listen to the media, of course, Cristobal Huey was a beloved uh, yeah. um, <laughs> member of the Canadians and and a media darling, and and uh, when he was shipped out, fans kind of blamed Carey Price, and those who dislike Carey Price to this day, it kind of was rooted in that uh in that move but um who uh, was very impressed uh said how athletic he was how quick he was yeah. um his ability to uh focus and read the play his ability to be aggressive on the puck but um he was very impressed by by uh Kerry's demeanor and and uh said that that calmness um had a then had an effect on the team and throughout uh, yeah. His uh, his tenure with the team has had a real calming effect on on the Montreal Canadiens, and that's what you want. That's the kind of stability and leadership you need from a goaltender. Absolutely, and yeah, to the to the people that would say that that would blame that on Carey Price at 20 years old, that's your goalie of the future. And you had a, a 32 year old Cristobal Huey at the time, I believe he was. So I mean, that that that's a move that just makes sense. But I will say though. I, this is my nearly 10, over 10 year old hockey take on Cristobal Huey. <laughs> I think if the Montreal, I think they would have been better off keeping Huey at that deadline and rolling with Carey Price and a more veteran Cristobal Huey rather than the Price yeah. Halak. I yeah. think that that was the opinion for me at the time was that that would have been the better route. But regardless, I digress. This is nearly a 10 year old. This is over 10 years old now. <laughs> this hockey take, but uh, <laughs> but we'll, well you got on. a chance to Speaking get it of, in, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You have to. You have to. Uh, speaking of playoffs, um, channeling Jim Mora there, um, <laughs> we heard from Jonathan Drouin this week. Um, and Jonathan Drouin claims that he is ready to go, ready for the quote-unquote playoffs. Um, the qualification round against Pittsburgh is not technically the playoffs, we should say. Uh, but he says that he also feels that he plays his best hockey in the playoffs. So, Initial reactions to Jonathan Drouin saying that he's ready to go and that he feels that he plays some of his best hockey in the playoffs. 
Well, we know that Jonathan Duran is very enamored with uh, his play in junior hockey. He loves the way he played in junior. He would love to play that way again in, in the NHL. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, three on three. He would love to play that uh, all game long. And, and, um, but, and we remember when he was struggling, um, uh, he, he watched a tape of him, um, of himself in junior hockey, which we found, I think we talked about it at the time we found it kind of, um, but he's, he, he talked about, um, being a kid and, and there was a whole different feeling and in junior, and there was a whole different feeling about playoff hockey. And so he said, so now we have a chance. Um, and, and that part is correct. They have a chance to make the playoffs because they're not there yet in the qualifying round. Uh, he just, uh, thought that when the Canadians made the playoffs, it would be, uh, in a full bell center. And it's, it's obviously not going to happen that way. But the good news is that he, he said that he's, he's fully healed his, um, Mm -hmm. the wrist surgery that he had, the ankle injury that he had, um, he is, is fully healed and that the, the three months, uh, uh, pause uh, has had a positive effect in that respect. Um, he he spoke about um, you know players who didn't use this time to get ready, um, uh, wasted the time, and and he used the time he said by uh, improving his shot, uh, watching guys like Patrick Lina um, and uh, or film of them and and um, and shooting pucks in his backyard. And he was back to the, the videos again, uh, watching himself, uh, and specifically the games uh, of uh, the first six weeks of the season, uh, when, yeah. when he played pretty well. Um, he, yeah. And I should say, he played really well the first four weeks. Um, he was off to a great start in October. Um, he kind of, uh, well, in, in November, he played two weeks in November. Uh, no goals. He went, went through a bit of a drought. Uh, and then he got the injury um, against uh, Washington and was was out until his return. And and we have to say he was pretty dismal uh, when he returned, uh, played eight games, zero goals, zero assists. He was a minus eight. Um, and um, and even at playing 14 minutes a game, he 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 didn't look himself. He didn't look interested. He looked uh, like he wasn't ready to be back at that point. Yeah, and and the one thing that I will add to that is that when he talks about playoff hockey, I mean, there was one uh, significant playoff run that he was a part of with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and that was 15-16. It was only 17 games, but he had 14 points. And as you said, the ankle injuries healed. The wrist injuries healed. After last season, he had the nose surgery. That's that's healed. That's out of the out of the way. I was very complimentary of Jonathan Drouin at the early part of this season because, as you said, he looked like he had maybe turned a corner a little bit. But if Jonathan drew in, he had 14 points in those 17 games in 2015-16. If that is not the Jonathan drew in that we see in the qualification round, or if the Montreal Canadiens by chance do get past the Pittsburgh Penguins and get into the playoffs, that better be the Jonathan drew in that we see, because there's no possible reason. There's he's had three months off to nurse these injuries back to health, to work on at least a little bit. He said that he's worked on a shot. So that there's no reason why that shouldn't be the Jonathan Drew and the Montreal Canadiens get. And if they don't, then maybe it's time to start entertaining the thought 
of, of moving on. Well, that's, that's a good point. Cause he's 25 years old. Um, 25. you know, it, 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 what is he as a player? Is he, uh, you know, a third overall pick? Um, I, I think it's safe to say that he hasn't reached and may not reach the expectations that people had uh, of him going at such a high pick. Haven't had the expectations in Montreal with Mark Bergevin thinking he could be the number one center and, and um, high output player. He's kind of been a 45 to 50 uh, point player. And, and, and maybe that's what he is. Maybe, maybe it is. that's what he is, but yeah. we'll have a chance to see uh, in this qualifying round. Well, Maybe. hopefully we have a chance to see that. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> because uh, as we'll get into now, uh, the impact of the coronavirus of COVID-19, um, and I think that this has been the most significant week in terms of just major news stories that have come out. Um, before we get into some of the uh, positive tests that have happened across the sporting world, we're going to start with um, just some news items that are uh, are of note. Um and that is one of them being that the federal government of Canada has extended the border closure, but welcomes the idea of, of hub cities. And we mentioned last week, Toronto is, is one of them that is in conversation and Vancouver uh, being another one. Uh, so, so Rick, overall thoughts, uh, anything on that? <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of a turnaround. Uh, you know, we were, we were hearing that, um, because of the 14-day quarantine, quarantine rule by the federal government that maybe there wouldn't be any uh, hub cities in Canada at all. Now yeah. they've been able to um, negotiate with, with the federal government and have worked it out and, and uh, announced uh, yesterday, actually, uh, an agreement. And, and Justin Trudeau uh, publicly welcomed uh, hub cities if, if the conditions uh, are, are, are right uh, now, so I've seen some people talk about, well, maybe both hub cities should be in uh, yeah. Canada. And, and I, I, you know, I think people have a misapprehension about, uh, yes, uh, there are some real uh, hotspots in the States, but uh, we also have to note, it, note that um, the, the U.S. is way ahead of Canada as far as testing, testing, when you population correct the, the, the tests per, uh, per uh, million people, uh, the U S and the UK are way ahead of, of Canada. So if um, you know, all of the, the teams are brought to Canada and they start testing as they have been done, um, you know, we, you may run into the same situation. So hub yeah. cities, um, we understand that, um, and this was just announced this morning that in the GM's meetings, the hub cities will be announced in about a week. Uh, and, and which um, if, if uh, uh, camps are going to be opening, um, those hub cities have to be announced soon uh, because they need time to get uh, ready and prepare that bubble, I guess. Absolutely. And, and yeah, so that'd be phase three of the return to play. We've seen the introduction of phase two, um, which is the uh, intimate group workouts um, at the training facilities for each team. So uh, it's of note that we have five Canadians that, that have been working out at Broussard, and then there's 24 players that have been at the Maple Leafs facility as well. Um, and, yeah, we'll be getting into some news about uh, other teams and their training facilities, but, but that, that's of note for the Montreal Canadiens. They've had five players that have been to Broussard. 
Yeah, I think um, it is. Uh, and that was one thing that was kind of odd in the um, presser by uh, Mark Bergevin is that he didn't want to tell us anything about the players, yeah. uh, the, the, the rosters that was, were growing. And again, we have news uh, on that uh, just this morning. Uh, coming from the New York Post, that um, teams will be permitted to bring 30 skaters plus unlimited goaltenders to camp. And then for the qualifying tournament, that number drops to 28 plus unlimited goaltenders. So there'll be a a couple of extra players. Um, We, we know that, um, that Laurent Dauphin, um, uh, who played uh, all, well, part of the season after the trade, um, with the Laval Rocket is part of that. We know that because he's working out at Brassard. We know that uh, the Canadians will have four goaltenders. Um, we remember Mark Bergevin just said more than two, which was kind of obvious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they'll have uh, Price, Lindgren, um, uh, Primo, and uh, and McNiven. McNiven's been working out at Brassard. Uh, Charles Houdin, um Paul Byron, and of course, uh, Jonathan Drouin all working out. Yeah. Um, so with that, as we said, so phase two underway, thinking about what phase three is going to look like, where it'll take place in the hub cities. Um, there has been a report, and this came out last week, uh, just before we went off the air, or just after we went off the air, I should say. Um, and we were talking about this last week, that the Penguins and Habs in the qualifying round could be in Vegas, which that doesn't sound... For a hockey fan thinking that the Eastern uh, an Eastern Conference series could potentially be taking place in the arena of a Western Conference team, that's that's a little bit to think about. Yeah, it was odd uh, at the time. It's certainly not something uh, that we uh, had projected, and 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 it and it's still not uh, uh, certain to happen. Uh, at, none yeah. of this is is certain to happen. Yeah. Um, but we know that Vegas is one of the favored cities. Uh, um, that that could be a hub city, and we understand that that the NHL would like to put all of the Eastern teams there, uh, just so that that um, you know uh, obviously the Golden Knights would have um, some kind of advantage uh, if the Western teams were playing there. Yeah. And let's say if the other one turned out to be uh, the other hub city turned out to be Toronto, that would that would host the Western teams. Uh, so that Toronto wouldn't have an advantage um, if they were playing in their home rink. That's the plan, or at least that's what was announced, as you said, after we went off the air last week. Uh, but I, again, everything is uh, is so movable and changeable uh, that we'll see we'll see if that happens. Yeah, um, that this is all very much, as you said, up in the air and. Uh, Kevin Bieksa had some really interesting comments, and we remember last week we, we sort of touched on Devin Dubnik's comments as well, where he had said that the players haven't necessarily agreed to play. They agreed to the sort of framework, the format for which they can negotiate a return to play. So Kevin Bieksa said this week that half the players that he's spoken to don't really want to come back. They would like to just pick up next season after all of this is sort of uh, well, as clear as it can be, uh, whatever that looks like. But those are some pretty interesting comments, and it's, it's clear that the NHL and the players need to sort of find some middle ground to get this to go any further. 
Uh, the the NHL and certainly Gary Bettman has been presenting this as you know um, a, a little happy marriage between the NHL and the NHLPA and everything's fine and everything's wonderful and um, and Kevin Pieksa is one of the guys and and we've heard this from a number of of people and and of course Kevin Bieksa is a former player um, and yep. and still has contacts. And he says that, as you said, 50% of the, the players he's talked to believe that the season should be called, um, start next season fresh. Um, he also said that this announcement, this return to play announcement that the NHL made caught a lot of players off guard. Um, and, and that, you know, he reinforced the same thing that Devin Dubnik uh, said was, we haven't agreed to anything. We haven't agreed to to playing we've only agreed to that that format if we play and yep. uh outlined again that there are so many obstacles whether it be the health health and safety protocols whether it be the financial situation there's a long long way to go before um this this all comes together and time's running out um th- this kind of yeah. has to be done by the end of june and we're already already at june 20th there's going to be it. I mean, you're looking at a month away. That was the date that was thrown out there was July 10th for phase three to begin potentially. So, I mean, there's a lot that needs to get done and there's not a whole lot of time left to do it. And this comes uh, after yesterday, where, as I said, probably one of the more eventful days in the world of sports uh, since March 11th, March 12th. And unfortunately it's not for reasons that you would really like that, uh, like it to be eventful. Um, uh, yesterday, Uh, It started with Bob McKenzie tweeting about a team shutting down their training camp facilities. And we'll get to that in a minute, but sort of to cap it all off the NHL, uh, they have got one of their marquee talents who reportedly, and it's from Steve Simmons of the Toronto sun has tested positive. And that is Austin Matthews, Toronto Maple Leafs, Mm. Austin Matthews, the franchise player of the Toronto Maple Leafs, arguably the biggest franchise in the game has tested positive. So this, uh, the Leafs released a statement after this report came out saying that they will not be commenting on reports surrounding testing up for any of the club's players or staff. And this falling in line with the NHL's handling of disclosure of positive test results. Um, So they haven't confirmed it. They're not going to confirm it, but Boy, oh boy, if, if this is what, if this is true, it's hard to envision them going forward in this very much further. So you already have a whole pile of obstacles to get through, uh, lots of things to discuss, lots of things to agree on. And, and next time uh, when the package is, is brought forward, it's not going to be um, presented to the executive committee is going to be to every member of, of the NHL is going to be able to, to vote on it. Uh, and, and, and uh, essentially by the end of June, uh, there's going to be the health and safety protocols. There's going to be uh, some sort of, uh, of, of CBA uh, memorandum of un- understanding uh, that's going to have to be voted on because the, the players are saying, is this worth it? All of this risk, all of these uh, risks that we have to take, is it worth it? Um, and if you look at the kinds of things that they've been talking about, uh, financial, and, and when we talk about, um, you know, the financial impact, we think first 
of the, uh, you know, all those, those greedy owners and the greedy NHL, but it's also the players who are 50% involved in this. Um, and, and they're wondering if it's financially uh, viable for them to come back. If we look at what, what they're talking about, you take a player's salary and first off, if they're in California, if they're in Ontario, if they're in Quebec, 50% uh, comes off uh, as far as the tax rate. Then they're looking at a 20% escrow hit uh, plus uh, having to defer 10% of their salary um, to prop up the, the league and, the, and, and make sure that it works. Um, that calculation is already at, at 80%. And you add in, you know, an agent's fee and all that. Is it worth it? Is this worth it? Um, they're coming back to, to the, the, the financial hit is enormous, is absolutely enormous to the league and to players. And they're coming back to, to mitigate some of that. Um, but, you know, when you start getting results like this, as you said, Austin Matthews, a marquee player, um, and and uh, and what we're going to talk about is some of the the uh, training camps that have been closed down, and and we had Travis Yost, a broadcaster, who tweeted yep. yesterday, not not sure what momentum the NHL was looking for, but Stanley Cup fa- favorite closes camp because of coronavirus, followed by superstar in hockey's biggest market test positive on the same day, probably ain't it. Yeah, <laughs> that that's putting it mildly. And then you have yesterday, as I said, Bob McKenzie tweeting out that there is a team that has had to temporarily close down their training facility following multiple positive tests. Uh, later revealed that team to be the Tampa Bay Lightning, who, as you said, and as Travis Yost said, Stanley Cup favorites potentially for this season. Um, so not a, it was revealed to be three players and then additional staff members. But yeah, not a, not a great day for the NHL and, and any momentum that they had towards resuming this season um and then later on it sort of became clear the nhl had uh, changed their policy regarding sort of the announcements of uh, the of, of positive tests so there will be weekly announcements going forward without identifying team or player and so far there have been 11 positive tests out of a pool of over 200 players so just, just overall your thoughts on the tampa bay lightning having to close down temporarily their training facility and then the NHL's new policy. Well, the NHL is, is scrambling. Um, they, yeah. as, as Travis said, uh, they want some positive momentum out of this. Um, but as, as we've said before, the virus doesn't care. Coronavirus doesn't care. It doesn't care that, nope. that fans are, are missing the sport. It doesn't care that, uh, the NHL is looking for ment- momentum. It doesn't care about the financial impact. It's just going to be there. Um, yep. Now a 5% infection rate, and it's, it's interesting that the NHL has chosen uh, to kind of squash things. In the era of transparency, they're becoming less and less transparent. And, <laughs> and, and we know that, that teams, um, you know, we're keeping the, the, uh, the, the names of the players secret up to this point, but it's even going to be uh, less transparent than that with uh, them not identifying the, the, the teams even. Um, but it's, it's, it's a difficult situation for the league because they're, they're wanting to be positive. Um, as I said, 5% does of, of the tests, that doesn't sound like a lot. However, 
you haven't got the players coming back from Europe yet. And we know that yeah. particularly Sweden has been a really hard hit. And uh, this could, this and and when they're getting back, the other thing I'll mention, and, and I don't think we, you know, we've said it often enough. Um, there's not real, there's no bubble in phase two. The bubble comes in phase four. Uh, yep. But right now, players are 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 going to their practice facilities, but they're interacting. We we don't know what they're doing, you know, with respect to going out and shopping or food or or uh, associating with friends or um, Austin Matthews, as you mentioned, uh, he was training with um, Arizona Coyotes living in Arizona. Um, and he had Frederick Anderson uh, staying with him. Anderson has moved on to California, but um, there's no bubble right now. So this may get, we may hear uh, this number go up as far as positive tests. Yeah. And, and yesterday, I mean, that was just the tip of the iceberg really yesterday in the world of sports. Um, there was so much that came out yesterday uh, regarding positive tests and, um, I don't think any any bigger than Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Phillies organization in the MLB um, that had eight positive tests, eight people in the Phillies organization that tested positive. Um, a Blue Jays player exhibited symptoms. Um, Dunedin, Florida, where the Blue Jays have their spring training facility, not far from Philadelphia's in Clearwater. Uh, the Giants have closed their facility after person and family member exhibited mild symptom, uh, symptoms and were tested. And there were reports that an Astros player also tested positive that were confirmed by their GM, uh, James Click. And this has all prompted the MLB to temporarily close training camps for COVID-19 cleaning. So the MLB is, uh, and they had just sort of, or seemingly they were rounding the corner to coming to an agreement in terms of uh, a player, the labor dispute that was happening. Um, and now this has also, uh, is also an impediment for them. And then in addition to that, PGA Tour player Nick Watney tested positive. And if mm-hmm. you remember, golf, golf and tennis were two sports that were like, well, listen, there's minimal contact. You, you should be able to do golf and tennis without much consequence from the coronavirus. Uh, like you said, the coronavirus doesn't care. Uh, and then this one, 23 football players from the University of Clemson tested positive for the coronavirus 28 student athletes and staff. That was the total number of positive tests, but 23 of them football players. And uh, like I said, boy, oh boy, yesterday was, was an eventful day in the world of sports. Uh, Not for any reasons that you would like though. Yeah. A huge, um, a huge news day. And like I said, uh, all of the news was going in the same direction, the same negative direction. And um, you know, as, as, as we've said all along here, um, we don't know if we're going to see sports at all. There's been all of these plans, all of these discussions, all of these, uh, and, uh, you know, reports and announcements, but um, this may not happen at all. And we think back to the, to the Gary Bettman uh, and Bill Daly saying right at the beginning, all right, uh, we're going to, uh, we're going, we're going to have to adjust things but our priority is not affecting next season. Um, and as soon as that went out the window, obviously uh, next season will be affected. I think that uh, uh, the NHL went off the rails a bit. Um, I think you're hearing from more and more players. We've said it, I've said it, 
that it would be better to um, to cancel this this uh, season um, and uh, and focus on next year because uh, the virus is still here. It's still potent. It's still devastating to some, and um, uh, it's it's going to be difficult to try and manage in in that environment. Absolutely agree with with all of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know that people are we're, we're getting impatient. They see the Bundesliga return. They see the Premier League return and they're asking, when is it going to happen in North America? Well, I mean, um, and we talk about hub cities creating that bubble. I mean, we've seen positive tests uh, from the Pittsburgh Penguins, from the Boston Bruins. It doesn't matter if you're just in, it's not just Florida. You're bringing a mass group of people together in one area. It, it just doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem like it's going to work, but uh, we'll see how this all progresses. I'll just uh, add that the, before we went on the air, uh, the New York Post, Larry Brooks, um, yeah. had a couple of other reports from the GM meeting, uh, putting some some uh, timelines on this. Um, we knew that that um, that camp, that training camp was going to open in and on July 10th. Um, it appears that the GMs have reduced uh, the training camp from three weeks to two, uh, so that. There will be travel to the hub city on the 23rd or 24th of July uh, that we had heard about two exhibition games. That's been reduced to one um, with the qualifying round, the play, the play in round uh, that to begin on July 30th. So that's as up to date as we have it. By the time we get here yeah. next week, who, who knows <laughs> what we're going to have? Well, one thing is for sure. There are a lot of hurdles to clear to get sports back in North America. So we'll see how this all progresses um, in the coming days and weeks. So stay with us. We're going to take a quick break here on the Canadians Connection podcast. Uh, When we come back, the Buffalo Sabres cleaned house this week. Um, We're going to talk about the Buffalo Sabres approach to handling the front office and compare it to the Montreal Canadiens. Stick around. We'll be back after this quick break. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. We are specifically interested in individuals who have education and or experience in the following areas. Sports writing, translation, editing, forum administration, social media administration, multimedia, graphic design, web development and user support, event planning, and sponsorship and marketing. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit allhabs.net and click the Join Our Team tab today. In every city around the world, sports fans flock to popular watering holes to share a few pints, some good grub, and to cheer for their team. Think your favorite sports bar deserves to be recognized? Or are you traveling to a new place and need to find the perfect spot to watch a game? HockeyPub.com is the answer. Find out where the best spots are located in your city to eat, drink, and meet fellow fans. HockeyPub.com Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? 
Looking to follow the Laval Rocket more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about team prospects. Would you like a place to socialize with hockey fans all over the world? We've got what you're looking for at allhabs.net, the place where you'll find everything you need to be the most informed and connected Habs fan around. Allhabs.net. And welcome back to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. You can follow me on Twitter at JoeWayla19. You can follow Rick at All Habs. You can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, so, Rick, as we said, heading to the uh, heading to the break, uh, it was an eventful day. Buffalo Sabers this past Tuesday, uh, they, by Frank Cervalli's count of TSN, fired 22 members of their organization in one day. Uh, which included GM Jason Bot- Botterill, which is the which is the main firing that you you were looking at when you're thinking about a general manager of a team being fired along with 21 other people. Um, but yeah, the entire list is uh, is there on social media. But that that's the main one. And Jason Botterill was there for three years, hired back in 2017. No playoffs, no playoff appearances uh, since he has uh, been there. Um, but that will be uh, they've they've hired Kevin Adams to replace Jason Bottrell, and that'll be their third GM since Darcy Regeer was fired in 2013. And uh, it's just to make that a little bit more, um, uh, just to, to hammer that point home. They've also had five different coaches since 2013, so it's clear that the Buffalo Sabers at this point. Um, no real stability within the last five years. Uh, they've, they've acquired, they've got some nice little pieces, but it's hard to, hard to win when you don't have that sort of stability. Yeah. And, and uh, in this big topic segment, it, it's kind of, how do you grade uh, an NHL GM? Yeah. And we talked a little bit about that last week uh, with respect to Jeff Molson's uh, press conference. And so looking at the Buffalo Sabres, we thought we'd, uh, kind of pull that apart first and then compare that to what the Canadians have done. Yeah. Uh, 22 people uh, being purged from the, the organization is kind of unprecedented. That, that, that's, um, that's, yeah, that was a day. And, and um, uh, you know, I should say that uh, I know Jason Botterell a little bit. Um, uh, I actually know his dad um, a oh. bit more. I worked with, with, I worked with Cal Botterell. Um, at the University of Winnipeg. He's a sports psychologist. um, And he was for a number of teams in addition to the university. Uh, So I got to know uh, his wife, Doreen, and and Jennifer, uh, his daughter, and and Jason a bit. And and that's not to to say anything, but he's he's a hockey guy. He he knows his stuff. I'm not not here to to stand up for Jason Bottero. There's there's been some some mistakes, uh, some yeah. signings, some, uh, he had a, a, uh, you know, he was a cap guy, uh, with the penguins and, and this year the, uh, the Sabres ran into uh, cap trouble and they're going to have a cap penalty next year. Um, but, uh, the question is whether three years is enough for a, uh, a GM to be evaluated. And, um, you know, typically, um, 
GMs are 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 given five years. Five years is yeah. is tossed around as the as kind of the benchmark. The you know that's what uh, uh, you've you've had you bring a plan to an organization, and that's what you're able to be evaluated on. Um, now in this case, uh, the the Pagulas, uh, Terry and Kim acted um, before that five years and. Uh, their reasoning was that there's some philosophical differences. Um, you know, I, th- I think uh, Ralph Kruger, I think he's a good coach. Kevin Adams, yeah. um, uh, he seems like a decent person, but he's, um, you know, all of his experience has been on the business side. And now he's been brought into uh, being a, a, uh, a, a, a GM without any GM experience. And in, in that case, uh, there's some parallels there with the Montreal Canadiens. Of course, Mark Bergevin had zero experience as a as a GM coming in. The the interesting part with the Sabers is this is their third time in a row, the the third time in a row that they have, have had a GM with no experience. Um, now where do they go from here? I mean, uh, they got rid of 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 bottle. They got rid of their assistant GM. They got rid of their minor league coaching staff. Uh, yep. uh, Chris Taylor in Rochester is a pretty darn good coach. Yep. Um, they got rid of their scouting, a lot of their scouts, scouting department, Mike Komisarek, uh part of the development yep. team. Uh, Mike, who may come up next segment. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he's gone. Um, so now um, you have a, an inexperienced uh, GM who doesn't have much of an organization to, to work with. And you have Jack Eichel sitting there saying, um, my goodness, um, <laughs> you know, what am I doing here? Um, I, I think that the, the thing that I liked, I, I liked uh, uh, Terry and Kim Pagula saying, uh, this is a results driven industry. Um, and it is. Um, and, and it's based on how you do in, in, on the ice. Uh, and, and they said, frankly, we haven't been happy with the results. Uh, of course, Sabres not uh, making the playoffs for the last nine seasons. The other thing they said was, um, the Buffalo Sabres reason for existence. Their, their, their raison d'etre. It's, it's, it's to win a Stanley cup. That's the only reason we're in business is to win a Stanley cup. And I, I like that. Um, yeah. I don't know if if um, if if Jeff Molson's following that particular philosophy. I don't know <laughs> that he's he follows the philosophy philosophy that it's a result uh, results driven industry either. But um, yeah, it was it was quite 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 a day uh, for the Buffalo Sabers and the the ramifications that that has on uh, the rest of of the NHL. Well, certainly, and and you mentioned that. You know, it is a results-driven league. That is absolutely the case. That, that's what have you done for me lately. That's, that's the nature of the business. Um, but when you look at the Buffalo Sabres, before Jason Bottle arrived, they had uh, Tim Murray. And Tim Murray was given three years, 2014 to 2017. And he was let go. Bringing Jason Bottle, he was given three years. And then he was let go. So the one thing that you need, I think, to be – and, and you need to find it. I'm not, I'm not vouching for those guys as being the best at what they do or anything like that. But the one thing that you need to do is find some level of stability. But there is a, yeah. So 
I think it's better to be on that end of the spectrum, though, than where the Montreal Canadiens are. Because even though they are making these pretty rash decisions and, and firing 22 guys or 22 people, I should say, in one day, you look at the Montreal Canadiens, who you're looking at eight years now of Mark Bergevin being the general manager of your club. And the Montreal Canadiens, I mean, in the time that Mark Bergevin has been there even, the personnel decisions that they have made, they have taken a long time to make decisions on guys that perhaps it shouldn't have taken all that long. You think back to Michelle Therrien, that is being the major change that has transpired during Mark Bergevin's time in the Montreal Canadiens organization. And you remember Bergevin saying that Therrien was a good foxhole buddy to have and <laughs> then firing him mid-season in 2017 after, you know, 2015-16 sort of showed the the warts of the system that Michelle Therrien had in place, that it depended too much on Carey Price. And so you come back next the next season with Michelle Therrien. We remember the game that Michelle Therrien pulled Carey Price, and he got the dagger stare from Carey Price. And that was just about it for for uh, Michelle Therrien when Claude Julien became available. But that was a decision that probably should have been made a lot sooner that wasn't. And when you look at eight years now of the Montreal Canadiens, with Mark Bergevin at the helm as the general manager and the supposed, I mean, there seems to be some uh, back and forth amongst Canadians fans as to whether or not Mark Bergevin said when he arrived that he had a five-year plan. But I mean, if the argument is that he didn't have a five-year plan, then what is he, what has he been doing this whole time? <laughs> what, what plan has he been using? Well, it's interesting. If you look at the, um, uh, on the NHL uh, website, on the standings, they now have standings by point percentage, and uh, they have the, the the teams who are are part of the playoffs and the qualifying rounds, and the Montreal Canadiens last one in, of course. And then there's a big black line, and just under that black line are the Buffalo Sabers, um, yeah. and uh, the Canadians have, uh, if you look at it, the same number of losses as the Buffalo Sabers. They have one more win and they have one more point in overtime. Um, they, the Canadians have three less regulation wins, which is usually a tiebreaker um, than the Buffalo Sabres uh, did this season. And pretty much the only reason that the Canadians are where they are and the Buffalo Sabres are where they are is that Montreal played two more games uh, than Buffalo. And, and we remember from the schedule that, that uh, the Canadians were due to play the Sabres when the season was paused. Um, yeah. But uh, if, if Buffalo, if the season had gone on and if Buffalo had uh, leapfrogged the Canadians with those, uh, those games, and we remember the Canadians were on a, 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 a three-game losing streak, um, would the Canadians have done the same thing? Would they have evaluated their, their uh, organization the same way? I think I think not, uh, but I think this this whole pandemic pause has been a bonus for uh, Mark Bergevin and and uh, yep. Jeff Molson to be able to slide a little bit and to kind of cover up the fact that it was a terrible season in which they uh, were on par, on uh, pace for 82 points. Um, and and yes, the question has to be asked: uh, What has um, Mark Bergevin done? Um, and, and the whole conversation, uh, this week about on Twitter 
uh, about uh, did Mark Bergevin have a five-year plan? Did he say he had a five-year plan? He didn't say he had a five-year It's so silly to me. Um, all organizations generally have a five-year window. In academia, we used to do five-year ac- uh, strategic plans. Um, yeah. Look at the Buffalo Sabres. Um, Tim Murray's contract, because he was on a five-year deal, uh, it, they're still paying him till June 30th, and now they're going to pay um, uh, Botterill two more years because that's what his deal was for. <laughs> Five years is kind of how you evaluate, um, uh, and, and, and it's enough time, I think, uh, to, to evaluate. You, you need that amount of time, but you don't need more time. And, um, you know, when, when Mark Bergevin was challenged on this, there's, there's still debate on whether he said he had a five-year plan or he didn't. Um, a lot of that's been scrubbed from the, the, uh, Canadians press. Uh, uh, so those things are hard to find, but when he was challenged on the fact of, of whether he had a five-year plan, he kind of talked about, uh, instead, Oh, I want to be evaluated every year. Uh, I want to compete for the cup every year. So I don't, deal with and it was a throwaway line that an inexperienced uh, GM might say uh, because an experienced GM would bring a five-year plan to his interview um, and 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 it w- would have goals and it's it's bizarre to me that fans are arguing about this and and um, and some media people are involved and in saying no no uh, Bergevin uh, he he didn't have any kind of five-year plan he never said he had a five-year plan Really, is is that is that what you want? Is that good? Is that desirable? That this is supposed to be some kind of endorsement? Um, you're <laughs> saying he had no plan whatsoever. He never declared a plan. Um, he had no goals. He had no bench, benchmarks, and as such, he can't be held accountable. Well, that's just that's juvenile. I'm sorry, that's dumb yeah. and juvenile. Of course, and this kind of got started. I think this whole business about five-year plan, uh, it was Michael Farber, longtime Montreal um, uh, reporter for, the, for SI. Um, and back in uh, the, the training camp, the training camp had just finished and the, the, it was uh, 2017. Training camp had finished. The, the opening roster had been announced and it was, and to put this all into context, it was, it was uh, Victor Mata. Um, Mete, Meta. Uh, he said, he tells me Meta, and I know Montreal Canadian media yeah. said Mete, so we'll go back and forth on that. But out of camp, uh, Mete had a good camp, and um, he had been paired with uh, to start the season with Shea Weber uh, and making the club out of, out of, out of camp. And at that point, um, Mete was still a, a junior eligible player. Uh, didn't have a great, you know, um, um, uh, pedigree, a, a, a resume, uh, hadn't played a single pro game, and yet he was being put on the first line. And, um, you know, it was just a couple weeks. It was during camp. Um, Claude Julien said, uh, no, um, Mete, we, we can't put him against the top forwards, uh, opposition top players. Uh, he's just, he's not ready for that. And yet when the season began because Mark Bergevin had created this giant hole on the left side uh, by trading Sergachev, by not coming to terms with, with Markov, that he had this 
uh, big problem and and poor Victor Manta was uh, not ready for it was uh, thrown into this and really yeah. and 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 uh, we also remember uh, Carl Olsner uh, was was going to be that guy for a while no uh, that didn't work out David Schlemko I remember oh, the. <laughs> I remember the, the Bergevin apologist saying, oh, yes, David uh, Schlemko is going to be your top pairing defenseman. No, maybe a third pairing defenseman. But as we know, uh, that didn't work out. And he went down to uh, Laval. Um, yeah. So that that's the context that uh, Michael Farber talked about going in. We're now in year six of a five year plan. Bergevin didn't have. Um, he didn't have a top line center. He had, ex- he had, uh, believed that Druen would be that wasn't, uh, had no top line center and he had created, uh, he had dug this giant hole on the left side. Um, and Victor Meta, Victor Meta, who, uh, couldn't play on the power play without a shot. He, he couldn't play on the penalty kill because he couldn't clear guys in front. Um, and, you know, um, there was he being thrust in and you had all the Bergevin apologists saying, oh, he's, he's our Tory Krug. Um, and, and it was at that point, Farber jumped in and said, he's now starting uh, year six of a five-year plan. Pierre Maguire jumped in and said, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Meta is going to get uh, eaten alive by the end of uh, get destroyed. I think was the the word he used by the end of October. This poor nineteen year old fourth round pick uh, with no yeah. pro experience. Um, this was purely an act of desperation, an, an unbelievable act of desperation. Um, and at that point, it, it, this this six year in, in five years and so on. It's gone on to eight years now uh, of a five-year plan. I'll just say, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a silly discussion. Uh, yes, we, we, we should be evaluating the, um, uh, the, we, we should be evaluating the GM after five years. Uh, is it too soon after three? Probably. Is it, is yeah. it not long enough after eight? Yeah. It's the whole thing is silly. Of course he should be evaluated. Um, and, and, and that's how most uh, GMs, most organizations uh, are evaluated. Uh, and it's in, entirely fair. And, and I think that's the other part of the conversation is when we get to Molson, um, you know, uh, the, the Pagula said uh, this is results oriented and they were talking about there's there has been no results on the ice. We talked about Jeff Molson last week and he was all peaches and cream. Uh, we yeah. were moving at 100 <laughs> miles an hour before the pandemic. No, the organization might uh, uh, the group CH might have been. Yeah. Uh, but we're not talking about condo towers. We're not talking about summer festivals. We're talking about what's on the ice. And yeah. that's why it's so important for a person in the president or president of hockey operation, it's so important for that person to be a hockey person because the only thing through their lens is what's working out on the ice. Uh, And as we said last week, that, that doesn't, that isn't the way Jeff Molson evaluates things. Yeah. And the one thing that I'll add to this is that part of the argument that I see fairly often on Twitter about Mark Bergevin and the, some of the apologists for Mark Bergevin saying that, well, you have to say that Mark Bergevin didn't start out with much. And in the terms of prospects, maybe that is true. Maybe 
the, the, the shelves were, the cupboards were a little bit empty in that regard. But I'm not here. That argument doesn't get you very far when you have Carey Price, P.K. Subban, and Max Pacioretty all entering the primes of their careers. You had three of the four things that you need to compete for a Stanley Cup. And whether or not you prefer P.K. Subban or Shea Weber is irrelevant at this point because the only thing that you needed was to go get a number one centerman. And Mark Bergervan had excuse after excuse as to why he couldn't do that, that it would take Carey Price, trading away Carey Price, to get back that number one centerman, that it wasn't like playing PS4 and that you could just do whatever you want and get a, uh, get a first-line centerman. But, like, I, listen, the one thing, the one quote that I know and love is from Josh Donaldson after a game in 2015 for the Blue Jays. It ain't the tri-league. It's the get-it-done league. You have three guys that were entering the prime of their career, a 30-goal scorer, a minute-eating defenseman on the back end, whether or not you like Subban more than, than Weber or Weber more than Subban. Take your pick. Right now it looks like Weber's the better guy to have, though. And then you have Carey Price backstopping you. And the season that he had in 2014-15, if you add a number one centerman to that mix, it doesn't have to be a, the best number one center out there in the league. It just needs to be a clear-cut number one centerman. Then the Montreal Canadiens are probably in a far better position than they are right now. And the position that they're in right now, it's, it's, it's not great. You have two guys that are aging in Price and Weber, and you need – to accommodate those guys because they deserve to be on a contending team. And to do that, you need to have really good pieces. And right now the Montreal Canadiens, they don't got those. They have some help on the way in the terms of young guys, but like Carey Price said at the beginning of this season, you know, prospects, young guys, until they're here doing it on my team, doesn't mean that much to me. That's the one thing that I'll add to that. And it's a good, it's an excellent point. And, and just to, to reinforce it, uh, really the only success that Mark Bergevin has had um, during his eight year tenure has been with that inherited core uh, yep. at, at its peak in the, in the early years, uh, that's where the success came. Uh, and that was with that, that uh, core, uh, that early core group. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, and it doesn't listen, any team that inherits Carey Price and the Carey Price that we saw in 2014, 15 and, and Carey Price that, that has been there his entire career. But specifically, you think of that season where he took home all the hardware, you're going to have success. And the Atlantic Division wasn't what it what it is right now. There are teams that that have turned a corner in a significant way since then. And the Montreal Canadiens haven't been able to keep up. So ultimately, that falls on on the general manager. And uh, I think the one thing that I will add to this is that maybe that wouldn't have resulted in changes if the Montreal Canadiens had missed the playoffs in a normal season, in a normal 82-game season. But I think the conversations, at least maybe, they might have started externally, and maybe that would have worked its way into some pressure internally to potentially uh, make that type of a decision. But anyways, we'll see how this all sorts of – how this all – goes going forward as we said eight years on since mark bergevin has been hired and uh no uh no five-year plan seems to be uh working out for the montreal canadians uh so we'll take a quick break here on the canadians connection podcast when we come back we'll uh, touch on the uh, bracket challenge and update you and how that has all unfolded uh stay with us here on the canadians connection podcast on rocket sports radio The Canadians Connection is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. 
Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at Rocketsportsmedia.com. I bet you enjoy sporting your best Habs jerseys, dressing up your kids and pets in the cutest Habs gear, and showing off your decked-out hockey cave or fan ink. Well, don't just show your friends. Show your Habs. The team at All Habs wants you to boast your finest pictures for our global network of Montreal Canadiens fans. Include the hashtag ShowYourHabs when posting your fan photos on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Then log on to ShowYourHabs.com to see your entries, along with photos and posts from Habs fans all over the world. A proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network. If you're a business owner looking for the perfect platform to reach a targeted audience of customers, Rocket Sports Media is the solution. Our global hockey community provides unmatched social media reach to an attentive demographic of sports and entertainment fans. We can provide visibility to your company, helping you to engage and leverage this prime group of potential clientele. In addition, we also offer sponsorship opportunities for fan events and featured areas of website content, giving you name and logo recognition. Visit Rocketsportsmedia.com to contact us for further details and information regarding this unique marketing opportunity. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, log in to allhabs.net, your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. And we're back here on the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. Uh, as I said, we're, we would be updating you on the bracket challenge, the ongoing bracket challenge. We're in the defenseman's division right now. And uh, we had some interesting matchups this week, uh, one of which saw Craig Reve, uh match up with Mike Komisarek. And, and that was a matchup that, that had a lot of, uh, a lot of people talking. Uh, uh, people don't seem to remember the, the Mike Komisarek, the effective Mike Komisarek alongside Andre Markov and uh, someone pointing out that Markov covered up a lot of, of his deficiencies <laughs> so that he was able to get paid in free agency. But regardless, uh, uh, some people not so kind to Mike Komisarek, who we touched on earlier, was an employee, a development coach for the uh, Buffalo Sabres, who unfortunately was let go. Uh, but regardless, Craig Reve picked up the win in that matchup with 71% of the vote. In, uh, in that matchup. And uh, the second matchup that we've had uh, posted since is uh, Josh Georges against Francis Bouillon, which is, which is an interesting one. Uh, two guys perhaps uh, not appreciated enough for their contributions. Uh, Josh George is currently leading Francis Bouillon with 88% of the vote in that matchup. So uh, two, uh, two pretty interesting matchups this week. Very much so. Um, and I think you're right. Mike Komisarek uh, looked pretty good with, with uh, Andre Markov and, and played well as, as one of our, our uh, listeners said, um, you know, it's not the Mike Commissaric that was with the Leafs. Um, it wasn't the Mike Commissaric that uh, lost the fight to uh, Lucic. Um, he, he was, he, he actually pl- played pretty well at times. Um, 
And Craig Reve, and I think this was again pointed out by one of our listeners, his greatest gift was when he was traded uh, to San Jose. Um, and uh, that was back in 2008, uh, sorry, 2007. Um, and at the trade deadline, it was Craig Reve and a fifth round pick uh, to San Jose for Josh Georges, who you just mentioned. Yeah. And a first round pick, uh, which became Max Pacioretty. So Craig Reve for Josh Georges and Max Pacioretty, that worked out pretty well for Bob Gainey. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a, that's a fine trade. I think you'd do that one again. Uh, but yeah, so as we said, this, uh, this is a really interesting thing that we've been doing. The bracket challenge, it, it, it brings up these sorts of conversations. I mean, not often you, you really compare a Craig Reve to a Mike Commissaric and look at their contributions to the Montreal Canadiens um, with the, the long, illustri- illustrious history of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, those guys might get lost in the shuffle a little bit. So it's, it's fun to, to have these conversations and see who wins in, uh, in a one-on-one battle against, uh, against each other. But uh, regardless, uh, we'll keep that going and uh, probably have another matchup in the coming days. But uh, Rick, I understand we do have an email and uh, some other some other comments on uh, recent podcasts that we've done. <laughs> well, last uh, during the week uh, last week, of course, we talked about uh, Jeff Molson and uh, and his uh, press conference, uh, and um, we noted that it was kind of peculiar that the whole thing was uh, was done in French, and it was uh, our friend Brad Zuckerman. Uh, Brad uh, uh, Z61 on Twitter says, once again, Habs Connection was the only place in the media that I heard it mentioned that Jeff Molson made his entire prepared statement in French only um, and says that he's quite disappointed in that. But uh, Brad, thanks for listening um, and uh, make sure to uh, pass on to your friends. Uh, Habs Connection, we're always happy to connect with you and we're always happy to uh, right or wrong uh, to hear uh, from you or if you disagree with our opinion or if you agree with our opinion we're always happy to hear from you and um, a few weeks back actually it was near the uh, beginning of this whole pause that we talked about um, some favorite moments and uh, for for viewers to or for listeners to go back and 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 look at and our dear friend uh, from the Ottawa region uh, Le Petit Bill sent a long email uh, that he took our advice, I guess, and and yeah. went back and watched uh, the uh, semifinal series, uh, the Canadians and, and the Bruins, 1979, uh, Game 7 at the Montreal Forum, and he writes, 3-1 uh, to one for Boston after 40 minutes. Holy smokes, I was just a kid, but I remember that for sure. Found a clip on YouTube to watch the last four or five minutes or so, and then the overtime. Didn't realize that the too many men on the penalty was uh, too many men on, on the ice penalty was with two minutes and some change remaining in the game down by one, three, two boy. Oh boy. Uh, Boston was unlucky for sure. Even according to our fabled commentator, Danny Gallivan, Lafleur was majestic, <laughs> majestic. Yes. He was majestic not to be denied. That series was his clowning crowning glory. Do you remember what his ice time was in the third period? No mortal can attest to this. Not humanly possible. The spirits of our fabled, fabled forum were assisting him on that night. Uh, and he said that uh, Liam McGuire, who Liam McGuire is a, a friend of the show and, and um, who we've had on, said that uh, according to, to his calculation that uh, Lafleur played about 18 minutes and change in that third period, which uh, Scotty, yeah, 
Scotty played him, played him a lot. I didn't realize it was that much. Um, so he tied it up on the power play. Not much time left. Both teams were uh, tired. Uh, that would look like we're going to be going to overtime, but Lafleur was back on the ice again, made a last effort to rush the puck up the ice, going through the Boston players. And like Lemaire back in 71, took a long slapper from just past center ice. He let it go with seconds left and whistles it just by the crossbar, almost won it. And of course we know that uh, we played the, uh, the Danny Gallivan, Dick Irvin coverage of the Canadians winning that game in overtime. Very exciting and uh, glad that that uh, our listeners are going back and finding these uh, without live hockey to watch. Uh, glad that they're finding uh, some um, uh, some old episodes so and some some really exciting moments in, in Canadian yeah. history. And I really like that uh, that retelling uh, from our dear friend um, Deep Bill. Absolutely. And there's a long list of, of great moments that you can go back and watch if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan. There's no doubt about that. Think of the uh, the Desjardins goal in 1993, mm-hmm. the call from Bob Cole, who I think we, we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, Bob Cole. Uh, if there was there was one call that is iconic for Montreal Canadiens fans anyways with Bob Cole at the microphone. I think it is that one. Um, but yes, uh, there's certainly a lot of moments you go back and, and listen, go back and watch to if you're a fan of the Montreal Canadiens um, and certainly with, with the uncertainty with the, 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 uh, the playoffs happening this year, you want some excitement like that. You want some excitement, revisit some of those moments. Um, but Rick, uh, with all of that said, I guess we will, uh, we'll sign off for another week here on the Canadians connection podcast. But before we do should wish a happy father's day to all the dads out there absolutely. this weekend. Happy absolutely. father's day. Yeah, absolutely. To, to our listeners, uh, to my own dad, to uh, to your dad, who uh, yep. got to men- meet a couple of times, and, and is a great <laughs> uh, great guy, great Habs fan, and and uh, uh, yeah, we're we're thinking of all the the great dads tomorrow. Absolutely, and yeah, spend some time with your dad if you're lucky enough to uh, to have your dad around. Make sure that he's felt appreciated on that day. But uh, Rick, we will uh, we'll say goodbye for another week here on the Canadians Connection podcast. Before we go, as you said, there's going to be some items that we were going to talk about on this podcast that will be discussed on From the Press Box, and that will be uh, dropping on Tuesday. And you can find that on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Overcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Play. Just search for Rocket Sports Radio and hit that subscribe button. You're never going to want to miss an episode of From the Press Box. But, uh, but next week, this coming episode of From the Press Box, especially some items that we were going to touch on that, that Rick and Amy get to discuss on Tuesday, and they always do it uh, so, so well. So you're going to want to check out uh, From the Press Box for sure this week. But uh, Rick, we'll say goodbye. We'll say thank you to all the people that are still working on the front lines and keeping us safe. And uh, we'll be back with you next week at 1 p.m. Eastern. That is 2.30 Newfoundland time, discussing all things Montreal Canadiens and all things NHL. Thank you for tuning in to the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. For the latest news on the Montreal Canadiens, follow us on Twitter at Connection and visit allhabs.net.